Well, before we continue with our series, I wanted to recognize uh, Mother's Day and for the moms that are here and the moms that are listening. Uh, I wanted to just pray a special blessing over you. So you can come join me even uh, if you're not a mom or if you want to just think about your mom uh, as we pray. Why don't we do that? So, Father, we want to just lift up all mothers to you today. Mothers are the cornerstone of the house, and they, their care and their love often go um, unappreciated and unseen. But this day, I just pray that you would see that the Lord sees you. The Lord honors you. The Lord blesses you. The Lord really gives his grace to you to be able to, to be the mom that he desires you to be and the mom that you desire as well. So I pray that you'd receive the Lord's grace. I pray that you give yourself grace. I pray that you receive his blessing today, that the Lord would pour out his blessing upon you. So for all the moms, I pray that you'd be able to receive that. And for our moms, I pray that uh, our hearts would go out and that you would experience the Lord's love today. I really do feel like the moms are an expression of the Lord's love. And so we just really want to honor the moms today. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we've been going through this series uh, called The Resurrected Life. And I think it's been a really great time kind of going through and talking about what it takes in order for us to live the resurrected life. And I think along the way, we've been trying to shake up our kind of mindset and the things that we've kind of thought and believed about ourselves. And so we want to continue that today. Uh, the verse that we've been looking at is John eleven twenty five, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And we want to continue with that idea that Jesus is the resurrected life, and this is the life that God called us to. So the question I wanted to kind of address today is, if Jesus is our resurrected life and the life that he wants us to live, is that possible? You know, is that possible to live Jesus's life? I remember, um, I'm going to share a couple things that I remember from seminary. So one of them is, we were studying about the life of Jesus, and we're talking about Jesus being God, okay? So he being God and being man, and how hard for that is to understand. It's hard for us to understand how Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, right? And usually what comes out is the God part, right? And so, for instance, like when we look at a verse like this, Hebrews 4.15, okay? It's one of the verses that I memorized and I that really speaks to me. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And I always felt like it was comforting to know that Jesus uh, can sympathize with us in our weakness, and he has been tempted in every way. But when I was going through this class, and then thinking about him being a man, but then also being 100% God, I wondered, is this really true? Or how much is this really true? You know, how much can he really sympathize with our weakness when he's God? And how can he really be tempted when he's God? And then we were asking the question, can he really be tempted? Can he sin? Was it possible for Jesus to sin? If he was God, was it possible for him to be sin? And if it was not possible for him to sin, 
Was he really tempted? Did he really feel weakness? And so these are all like the theological kind of questions that we were kind of thinking about and talking about. But it really made me start thinking about this whole idea about living the life that Jesus lived. Is that possible when he was God? Well, I think one of the most important passages for us to understand this, one of the most important passages for us to understand the life of Jesus is found in Philippians chapter 2. Okay, so let's take a look at that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Okay, this is called the kenosis passage. Okay, and I'll explain what that means in a second. Okay, so this is Paul talking. He says, having this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, 100% God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Okay, that's the kenosis. Kenosis means emptying. Okay, so this is why it's called the kenosis passage, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack in this little passage, but I think it's very telling for us in our understanding about how Jesus lived when he was here on earth. Okay, so first we notice that he was God. He was in very nature God, but he did not, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. And that translation is actually very difficult to understand because when you read it it sounds like he didn't understand that he was God it was too difficult for him to grasp that's usually the word when we think about grass but actually when you look at the word grass in the Greek it, it's not it doesn't mean that at all it means something like a thief would take something for his own advantage or for his own purpose that's the meaning behind the word that's translated here grass and when you look at other translations, it kind of brings out this light is that he was 100% God, but he didn't use those things to his own advantage. Okay, a better word to maybe bring out the, the flavor here is utilize. He was 100% God, but he didn't utilize those things for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself. I like the New Living Translation that says he emptied himself, which is he didn't use his privilege as God for his own advantage. So was he 100% God all the time? Yes. But did he experience life that way, or did he experience life as a human? He experienced life as a human, even though at any time he was 100% God. So when we look at this passage, it's very telling for us and really important for us to be able to relate to Jesus and his life. Because how many of you are like this? I know that when I've read through the Gospels and I look through different things that talk about Jesus' life and some of his miracles and some of the other things that he's doing, and we look at that and say, can I experience that? Or was that just Jesus? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, that, but that was Jesus, right? That's not us, right? And so we draw this distinction between us and the life of Jesus. That's why this passage is extremely important. It's extremely important to recognize he was, at all times he was on earth, he was 100% God. But he chose to not utilize those divine aspects and that power. Uh, he chose to use and experience life as we would. That explains why he was on earth for 33 years. He could have just come, if his only purpose for coming was to go to the cross and die. Think about it, he could have just come for the weekend. Right? God, the Father could have been talking to Jesus saying, you need to go for this is your purpose to go die for all mankind. You can just come down on a Friday and come back on Sunday. 
He could have just been here for a weekend if that was his only purpose for being on earth. But it wasn't. He had to come as a baby. He experienced life as a toddler. He experienced life as a teenager. He experienced life, many of you, as a young adult. He experienced life on earth as we did, as we would. He could have easily done, and actually Satan kind of tempted him too. He said, call down a thousand legions of angels. He could have done any of those things at any time being God. But how did he live his life? He lived his life as a servant in human likeness. He experienced life as we are supposed to. He, the Bible says, calls him the self, calls Jesus the second Adam. This is how Adam was supposed to live. This is how God wanted us to live from the very beginning. That's why he created Adam and wanted Adam to live this way, but Adam failed. Adam didn't live out the life that God intended for us. So Jesus came and was the second Adam, and he lived out the life that he wanted intended for Adam to live, and he wants us to live, that now is possible for us, that we can live this kind of life, the life that Jesus lived. Now, if you're like me, that could be very difficult to try to grasp. And when I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about us living the life of Jesus, it's very hard for us to understand. Because Jesus was perfect. We're not perfect. Okay, so I think, let's think about this a little, a little bit more in depth. When we're thinking about living the life of Jesus, are we saying that we can live a perfect life? No, we're not saying we can live a perfect life. Can we say that we're going to experience everything that Jesus experienced? No, we're not going to experience everything that Jesus experienced. In fact, I remember, okay, there's a second story from seminary. I remember I was in uh, this class studying for the Gospels, and I remember my professor asked this question. He said, what was the one thing, and I'll ask you guys the same question, what was the one thing that Jesus did that we can't do? And I was like, there's only one? <laughs> right, that was my first thought. But then he asked this question, what was the one thing that Jesus did that we couldn't do? There's only one thing. What was it? Okay, and you'd be proud that your interim pastor, I was the only one to answer the question correctly. The only thing that Jesus did that we can't do is to die for our sins. Okay, in order to die for all of our sins, he had to be God. Okay, we could not have done that. But everything else we can experience. And when you think about that, that's kind of a daunting thought, right? All the things that he did, all the miracles that he did, all the things that he did, yes, he experienced those things as we would. He experienced those things, and he did those things through the Holy Spirit. He listened to God. He uh, listen to the Father, and the Father directed him. He says in John 5.19, I don't do anything of my own. I don't do anything of my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. He set an example for us. This is what we can experience. And when I, when I mention this, I think we need some changing in our perspective and our changing in our expectations because this is not the expectation for us. We don't expect to live Jesus' life. We said, that was Jesus. He was God. But the whole purpose of Jesus living out his 33 years on earth was to set an example of what is possible for us when we depend on God. What is possible for us when we're walking by the Spirit? What is possible when we're led by him and not by us? When we're operating through the Lord and the Holy Spirit and not operating from our flesh? He's showing us what's possible and the kind of life he has intended for us. 
When you really try to receive this and you really try to accept this is true, I think what needs to happen and what's been happening to me is we need to raise our bar. Our bar is so low. And maybe it's because we've lived so long as an orphan that we feel like this is the best I can have, this life way down here. This is the best I could do. I can just live a really, really, really blessed orphan life. That's the best, that's the best I'm going to have on this earth. But God is saying, no, that's not true. That's not the victory that I won for you on the cross. That's not why I killed your old self and gave you a new self and made you a new creation. That's not the life I wanted you to live. I want you to live Jesus' life. He is our example. He is our picture of what life is supposed to be like us for us. Are we going to be able to operate it perfectly? No, we're not. But that doesn't mean we should throw it away. Just because we can't do everything and experience it perfectly doesn't mean we should change our expectation or lower our expectation just because we can't do that perfectly. We need to set our sights on this. We can live the life of Jesus. We can live his life. His life can be lived through us. We can experience life like Jesus did. That's the example that he set for us. Now, the next question I wanted to ask is, how do we do that? How do we do that? Okay, so I want to look at a passage that's going to start um, getting us thinking about how we can do that. Okay, so this passage is found in John chapter 13. That's a very interesting passage. So John chapter 13, just to give you the context, this is uh, towards the very end of Jesus' life. Okay, it's the end of his 33 years. He's going to the, he's going about to go to the cross. He's going about to be arrested soon. And John 13 starts out with saying, Jesus wanted to express the full extent of his love to his disciples before he's going to leave them. Okay, so then we have this passage. Uh, then Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter, and he, Peter, said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And this is what Jesus replied. He says, if you don't, if I do not wash you, you can have no part with me. Now, this is a very, very interesting scene. Okay, so let's go back here. So starting out with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Okay, so you have to have some understanding about the cultural context, right? So in the culture that uh, slaves were very common, it wasn't just the very rich that had servants, right? A lot, of, a lot of the people had servants, and they had multiple servants, okay? So when you look at the servants in the household, they had like a pecking order. They had a ranking, and they would have different responsibilities depending on their ranking in the household. The lowest servant would do this job would wash the people's feet because feet were considered unholy, unclean, okay? So the lowest servant would have this responsibility, right? That's where if you've ever heard, read different passages about uh, the seraphim with the six different wings, they, they had have two wings to fly and two wings to cover their face and two wings to cover what? To cover their feet because it's so unholy before a holy God. 
Okay, these are different examples just to show you the Jewish's attitude towards what's happening here about the washing of feet. The lowest of the lowest servant would be the one washing the people's feet when they enter the house. You have to understand that they don't have, they don't have uh, shoes that cover their feet. They have sandals. They have, don't know how to pave roads. It's all dirt roads. It gets very, very dirty and dusty as they go and walk around. This is the setting where we read here in John chapter 13, where Jesus is telling his disciples, I am going to wash your feet. Okay, so you can imagine he's going and he, said, he started washing the disciples' feet, and then he comes to Peter. Uh, I don't know if Peter's the last one or where he is in the order, but he started to, and then he comes to Peter. Okay, and Peter is saying to him something that I think maybe all of us would say. You know, if you're walking with Jesus and living with Jesus and seeing who he really was, I think I would say the same thing with Peter, which he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And when Jesus says that he's going to do that, I think I would say exactly what Peter says. Never. You're not going to wash my feet. I should be the one washing your feet, not you washing my feet. If you've ever kind of been a part of a, a feet washing, okay, so I've been a part of these different ceremonies before, several times in the past where we've done feet washing. Okay, it's actually very powerful. It's a very powerful scene if you've ever been a part of it. It's like very, very um, in charge and very, very powerful situation, right? And a lot of the times, almost all those situations except for one, I was the one washing people's feet. And I thought of Jesus doing this for his disciples. And I thought of me, even though that I'm a pastor in this kind of position, I want to show humility and I want to be a servant and I want to go low and I want to wash these people's feet. And that was my mentality going in. And it was very meaningful, you know, being able to express my love for them and care for them and to serve them and to wash their feet. But, you know, the one time I didn't have that experience is when I was the one getting my feet washed. Okay, so it was, uh, I remember it was on Pastor's Appreciation Day, uh, I think it was maybe two years ago, it was a Pastor Appreciation Day, and they had all the, the pastors on stage uh, to get their feet washed. Okay, so um, they did it one by one, and then it was my turn, and so they had brought someone up, and this person like shared all these things about how uh, I, I had blessed them and, and really did all the stuff in their life, and then after that, I was supposed to go up and sit on this chair, and then two people were supposed to wash my feet, and they were supposed to bless me. Can I tell you, that was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever experienced. That was so uncomfortable for them washing my feet. Even like sitting there and taking off my shoes and taking off my socks and like, that was super uncomfortable. That was very uncomfortable for them washing my feet, right? This was Jesus. This was Jesus washing their feet. How much more would they feel? But look at Jesus' response to Peter. Now, this is very striking. Look what he says. He says, if you don't let me wash you, if you don't let me do this for you, you can have no part with me. You can't have any relationship with me. If you don't let me do this for you right now, if you don't receive it, you can't be with me. You can't have a relationship with me. You can't be connected with me. This is what Jesus is saying in verse 8. 
When Jesus, when Peter says, no, you'll never wash my feet. And then Peter, we're not going to look at the next word, but Peter goes, oh, crazy. Not just my feet, my whole body, he says. He washed everything, right? He kind of goes, he gets a little carried away. But Jesus says, if you don't let me do this for you, you can't have part with me. Okay, now there's several things that we want to address here. First is, I understand why Peter feels like this, because he feels unworthy, right? And I think we'd all feel this way. We feel unworthy for Jesus to wash our feet. And that's true. Is Peter worthy for Jesus to stoop down low and to wash his feet when he should be the one washing Jesus' feet? Certainly, he's unworthy. We're unworthy to have anything like this happen to us as well. But Jesus is saying, you cannot let this stop you from receiving from me. We're all unworthy to receive from the Lord. It's all grace when we receive from the Lord. It's all grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. We can't merit this. We're not worthy to receive it. If we were worthy to receive it, if we could merit it, it wouldn't be grace. This is all God's grace. You have to be able to receive God's grace. You can't live the resurrected life. You can't live Jesus' life if you don't receive his grace. If you're not receiving from him, you can't have a relationship with him. This is how we start our relationship with him as a Christian. We're undeserving. It's completely grace. Ephesians 2.89, it's by grace you're saved. Nothing from yourself, right? You cannot earn it. That's the way you start the Christian life. That's the way you continue the Christian life. You can't earn it. You can't merit the things that he gives you. You cannot be worthy of the things the Lord gives you. You can't be good enough to receive the, Lord, the things that the Lord gives you. It's all grace. It's all unmerited favor. This is the point that one of the points we need to see from this passage. Peter felt unworthy and it prevented him from receiving. He said, you'll never do that. You'll never wash my feet. But Jesus is correcting him and saying, if you're going to think this way, you can't receive anything from me, especially about what's going to happen next, about me going to the cross and dying. You can't receive that. If you're going to base it on your worthiness, you're not going to be able to receive that. He's trying to change Peter's perspective. He's saying, if you're going to have a relationship with me, guess what? You're never going to be worthy. You're never going to feel like you can merit what I'm going to give. That can't prevent you from receiving. You have to receive from God. You have to receive from him. The thought that Jesus is going to serve us is a terrible thought for us to think about. Who who? would want to think about Jesus being God serving us. That seems so backwards. Yet, he does that. We looked at the passage in Philippians. He says, he came as a bondservant to serve us. Him dying on the cross was his servant, his, being a ransom for us, being a servant to serve us. Right? And that seems so backwards. Like, we should be serving God, not him serving us. But, we look at passages like in Psalm 50, and we won't look at that, but it's one of my favorite psalms. When, when the psalmist says uh, of the Lord, the Lord says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you. A cat, I own a, a cattle on a thousand hills. I, everything in the world is mine. I don't need anything from you. Right? And that was in the context of them giving burnt sacrifices and doing all these things from the Lord. 
He says, call upon me in the day of trouble. Let me be God. Let me be your father. Let me be your shepherd. Let me be the one to care for you. Let me be the one to be over you. This is what he's saying. And when we see this, it's difficult for us to think about. It's difficult for us to kind of embrace. And it's difficult for us to be able to do what he's asking Peter to do here. Is to let God minister to you. To let God love you. To let God care for you. To let God uh, pour himself out for you. But this is exactly what we need. This is exactly what we need. And when we feel 